I don't ever suggest people leave a company. That's never my starting point. My starting point always is trying to figure out what the disconnect is, what they're not happy about, and seeing what can we do potentially to fix that. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I'm your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you are subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. How are you transforming the employee experience and those around you? I strongly believe that it is our responsibility as leaders to connect the mission and purpose of our organizations with the missions and purposes of our employees. This connection can reinvent our employees' outlooks on their work and even their careers. That's why I spoke with career transformer Joanna Wise. She is the CEO of Connect Work Thrive and empowers individuals to embrace their strengths and focus on helping them thrive. So get ready and let's dive in. I am so pleased to announce and talk to my next guest, Joanna Wise. And the only way that I can describe her and introduce her are from the amazing words of her son, Julian who says, Joanna cares deeply about people, especially notable in her helping of people who others have left behind in business. She prioritizes her clients above all else, and especially an admirable trait for the industry she's in, helping people find the work that they love. She is also tireless and shows great integrity in sticking to her principles, and the results certainly show. I am proud to talk to Joanna today. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. And I did not know you were going to start that way. And I have never started a podcast with tears in my eyes. I am so <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> so sweet. Well, you know, it just also shows uh, the the effect that you have on your family and the that your family recognizes the amazing work that you do as an individual and as a leader. So, you know, it's a... Uh, we don't always hear it from our family. We might hear it from our coworkers and, and uh, you know, our bosses or pe- those around us, but not always from our family. So I wanted to share that with you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, you know, that's true in the time of COVID now that we're all working from home. I'm hearing what my son is working on, what my husband's doing, how they interact with people. And it's been a really illuminating experience because you see them from the professional side rather than just the personal side. Yeah, It really opens up a whole new realm of how you interact with your family. You're absolutely right. That's a very good point. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you, you have so many incredible stories. You talk with so many incredible people. I'm curious, you know, we are at the tail end of uh, January right now as we're recording. What has inspired you so far this year? Wow. Well, I would have to say that I think what inspires me the most is the resilience and the resourcefulness of the people that I have met along the way. I mean, this is a weird time and yet people are figuring out how to make it work, whether they're moving in with in-laws or working from home or pivoting their career, or I'm working with a lot of people who are starting businesses. You know, that side hustle we always had going on in the back of our minds, right? Well, people are saying maybe now's the time for me to give it a shot because working remotely is accepted. So that's what I'm thrilled about is kind of that can do American spirit of just figuring it out. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love that. That uh, the spirit and the resiliency that we've seen in this last year. I mean, it's almost it's incredible to think that it's almost been a year since we've been essentially locked down, um, and it's just so amazing to see the resilience and the strength and compassion that people have for one yes. another. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And, and all of those things have to do with leading people first. So I would love to hear from you. What does it mean to you to lead people first? Wow. Well, leading people first, first off, needs a, a number of very good skills. Number one, great listening skills. Because one thing I've learned is I can lead people better by allowing them to come to where I want them to go in their own words than by me telling them what yeah. to do. And I have to tell you, a lot of that came out of being a parent. It's a lot easier <laughs> to get a toddler to do what you want when they figure it out rather than when you tell them. So yep. there's a lot of parental skills that come into this. But being a good listener is very important. Um, secondly, a clear communicator, right? Just telling yeah. somebody I need this isn't particularly helpful, but having an understanding of the parameters, why you need it, when you need it, and exactly del the deliverables is also very, very helpful. Another thing is being persuasive, right? Can that person really see and understand why what you need is important? And the way to get that is figure out what's your win-win situation, right? Yeah. What are we both aligned on so that we both say, you know what, if we both work on this, it's a win-win situation and we're creating a, a, a bigger pie for us to all eat or a better, a better result for, for everybody involved. So creating those kind of persuasive win-win situations are incredibly helpful too, in order to lead first. Absolutely. Well, I love that, especially the listening part. I mean, I was reminded of that last night as I was um, giving my son a, a bath, a shower. I was showering him off. He's 16 months and um, we were finishing up and he didn't want to get out of the bath. So <laughs> instead of forcing him out of the bath, I was like, hey, can you help me put away your toys? And he was like, oh yeah, I'll help you put away like my toys. And he was putting them away. And then when he realized he was done, he's like, oh, it's time to come out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a win-win because you got two things done. You got them out of the tub and the toys got put away. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't you are even, good. <laughs> he did not fight. I mean, that's how I'm going to have to do it from now on. That's the first time I did it. I'm like, oh, this is incredible. So <laughs> you are good. Yeah, wonderful. So, so you've had a very uh, high growth career, I think, because you've really, you know, you've gone from the corporate world working at, uh, you know, a, a very well-known organization like Frito-Lay, Doritos, and then, you know, now having your own consultancy and helping others grow. And the impact that you've had is in incredible. First, what is your favorite chip, if you have one, having worked oh. in that industry? And second, how did you learn through your career to actually learn to lead people first? All right, so my favorite chip has to, of course, be Doritos because that was the brand I was on. Uh, it is the, uh, I think it still might be the largest seller behind Campbell's Soup and Milk. So it's the third largest, all because of Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. So there you got a, got a little fact about Doritos. Um, <laughs> although I like Fritos too. But uh, yeah, you know, I got into this industry because I had worked in 
several different industries. I actually started out in investment banking at Goldman Sachs in Manhattan, pivoted to consulting at Bain and Company in Boston, and then brand management at Frito-Lay, and then some tech in the Bay Area. And what I found was all along the way, there were people who were just kind of struggling in life. You know, they didn't have a good fit. They, they weren't in the right place or whatever that was. And what ended up happening is I, I realized people ended up in places because someone had made a suggestion to them along the way and they followed it, right? Like I looked at engineering when I was young. I grew up in New York City and I asked someone, what does an engineer do? And they said, well, an engineer builds bridges. And I just decided, well, I didn't really want to build a bridge. You know, flash <laughs> forward 30 years, I'm in Silicon Valley. Engineers do many other things, but I didn't end, end up being in that career, which I probably should have been because I just got crappy information. And I find that there are people who are working in positions because you know, uh, uh, a CPA, because their parents said, you'll always be able to make money at that, right? But that's not what they really want to do. So what I found along the way is that if you just kind of work with someone to open up what is available out there based on their personal values and skills, okay, they can see that there's places to pivot with their interest and their skills that isn't necessarily what they're presently doing. And so a lot of that, when it comes to leadership, Okay, is finding a better fit with your values. Yeah. Okay, so I worked, for example, with a CPA at a, at a major CPA firm, and he was not happy. 25 years, he said, I really hated what I was doing, but my parents told me it would always put food on the table. Okay, lives in San Francisco. His biggest concern there is the homeless situation. You know, he says, I give people food, I give people money, I give them clothes. I feel like I'm making no dent in this in this awful situation. Yeah. Flash forward, he's now CFO of Goodwill Industries doing exactly the same kind of work, the same kind of leadership that he was doing at a CPA firm, but he found meaning in what he's doing. Yeah. And he loves it. So that's, that's part of, you know, if you're not finding that you're thriving in your environment, there's got to be a reason. Usually it's a disconnect between your values and the values of the organization or your manager. And if you found a bit a better values fit, you're more likely to thrive. I love that. So how do you help individuals find their values and find that fit? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah. So that's a deep dive. Most of us have done it peripherally over life, right? I mean, everybody pretty much took the Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or the DISC profile, and we read it, but we don't implement it. And that's where the disconnect is. And by the way, you're a parent. I did this with my kids. I did the DISC profile with my entire family. And I began to see where there was a disconnect between the values of myself and my children. And I was able to be a better parent for that. So I'm going to throw that out to you. It helps you depersonalize how they are versus how you are. They're not doing something to you. They're just simply seeing the world in a different way. So yeah. I'm going to throw that out to the audience. Good tip. Yep. But if we all do that and then do a deep dive, 16 personalities is a great way to do it. It's a Myers-Briggs with about 30 pages behind it of your personality and how it uh, has demonstrable leadership skills or what it's like to work with you as a subordinate or as a manager, and you begin to look at those values and qualities, you can sit back and say, does this mesh with my organization? If not, I need to perhaps seek a different place. 
And as you look at your strengths and weaknesses, right? This is something you filled out yourself, okay? As you look at your strengths and weaknesses, are there weaknesses in there that don't serve you? Yeah. Okay. And if we have a growth mindset, you can change. Absolutely. Okay? If you're if you're a super introvert, which by the way, I am, okay? Can't tell. <laughs> I realized, can't tell. I realized it didn't serve me. So, you know, I realized that in order to feel comfortable in a group, I needed to be a subject matter expert. And then I can talk forever. So I tend to put myself into situations where I feel very comfortable talking about my subject. If I just stood up and spoke extemporaneously about something I know nothing about, an extrovert could probably go on and on. My mind goes blank. So I don't put myself in those situations. So that's what I'm saying. When you look at your strengths and weaknesses, you can decide what you want to work on that might help you in your career. Absolutely. So what when we look at strengths and, and weaknesses, you know, there's, there's, I think two lines of thought, right? Is one is work on the areas that you're not as strong in. So you can shore up those skills. And then the other is, you know, well, don't worry about those because those are naturally things that you're not good at Right. really focus and highlight your strengths. What camp do you fall into? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So I fall into the camp first and foremost, your strengths, those are your superpowers. Own them and be loud and proud about them. That's what you're going to let people know you naturally can do as well or better than anyone else in a project, in a meeting, you know, discussing a subject. All right. We have to own those and be proud of them. The reason it's worth looking at your weaknesses is those are probably the areas that are holding you back. And you may not have to spend a lot of time on them, but you may have to fine tune them. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the kind of person that just always like lets loose when you think something is stupid in a meeting, you might need to learn to sit back, take a breath and find another way to share that you think it's not the best idea you've ever (laughs) heard. Okay. (laughs) And that's my point. You want to embrace your strengths, but you want to fine tune your weaknesses. Okay. Fantastic. So when we look at strengths and weakness, and you had spoke earlier about passion, how do you balance strengths and passion and then value, uh, you know, add on values on top of that to really help someone find a good fit of where they should be or where they want to go? Yeah. So it, you know, it varies by person. Sometimes you need to figure out an environment where you fit because you believe in the mission and the work itself is less important. In other words, you'd be happy to do almost anything if the mission of the company drives you. Yeah. Right. And for some people it's the work and they really don't care about the product or the service of the company. Right. So you have to understand what is it that where, what is the environment where you thrive? I call that vision. Envision the environment where you're happy. All of us have been in the flow at some point in our lives, right? I was a mathematician by training undergrad. And I used to, I could sit with a problem and work on a proof from the time the sun went up until the sun went down without looking up from my desk, because I wanted to create not just an answer, but the elegant answer. Okay. So I knew I was in the flow then. All of us have had those situations and it could be 
for pay. It could be a volunteer experience. Could be cleaning out the garage with your kids because that's the time you have the best conversation ever. Whatever those are, those situations, write them down and get a sense of why you, you felt that you were thriving in that situation. Because you can find environments like that to work in. Okay, Absolutely. there's some people that work outside, right? They're in the environmental space. You don't have to work at a desk all day. There are jobs that get you out of that desk. And if that's what's important to you, let's start looking where your skills would fit into that kind of an environment. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I really have uh, come to learn recently is that passion, you know, what you're passionate about and what your values are and what your strengths are can be separate things. They do not always have to be in the same space at the same time. And even if you do have them in the same space at the same time, you can have more than one, right? Like you can have a passion, like two passions, three passions. I have way too many, my wife says. So, <laughs> you know, and so it's something that uh, we can find solace in. So we are not so tied down to a job. And I think that I was, um, I have a question on that for you because Jesse Chan told me that she's in, been inspired by you with your passion in line dancing. Oh my gosh, and you so, know Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> and so what is it that, uh, you know, how do you help others decouple passion, mm -hmm. you know, you know uh, the identity in their jobs and the identities that they have in their, in their personal lives? Yeah, so that's a wonderful question. Um, so a couple things I want to say. One is first, you said that you have way too many interests. Okay. Yeah. I've worked with so many people. They're so self-deprecating about all their interests. You know, what we used to call that a Renaissance man. Okay. <laughs> Own it. <laughs> if you could only make widgets, that's all you'd be doing. You know, talented people have a lot of interests and they can, they can do them all. But as you say, not only all of them at once. So you know, if you've always had that burning to desire to write a book, okay, yeah. you may have a full-time job, but carve out an hour once every couple of days and put it on your calendar and sit down and start working on it. Or find an editor that will help you brainstorm to do that. I'm working with people that do things in parallel because their job, while it may be fulfilling in a certain area, may not be creative the way they want to be in their writing life. Same thing with dancing. Dancing for me is my form of therapy and meditation. <laughs> I save a lot of money on medical bills, let me tell you. But you get in the flow and it's a wonderful way to be healthy and be part of a community. And once I found that about 10 years ago, it was life-changing for me. So, uh, so absolutely try when you have a passion, it doesn't have to be necessarily what you do for money. Fantastic. I love it. So what, you know, what's stopping us then, or maybe what's stopping companies from helping their employees find these other passions and talents and helping them outside of the workplace to yeah. really cultivate those things? Yeah, I yeah, that's a really good question. I, I struggle a little bit with whether that's an employer's role necessarily, because um, you can find shared interest groups very easily on Facebook, 
I mean, there's a worldwide line dance community on there. I've danced in Hong Kong and Norway. I've danced with people only spoke Cantonese, you know, I mean, (laughs) you can find your people all over the place. So I think you should be able to do that. I think where it becomes tough is if in your work life, you have no time to do that because you're working 24 seven or you don't have a regular enough schedule so that you actually can implement what you want to with other people because they have to be dependable sometimes if you're working with, you know, if you're doing something with other people. So that is, I think, something that a a workplace needs to be a little more um, sensitive to. Mm -hmm. That if you've carved out a vacation, for them to cancel it the night before is egregious behavior. Okay, they need to figure out some other way to make that work. Or if you're working with people in multiple time zones, and this is, I see this in Silicon Valley all the time, they're working from seven in the morning until 10 at night because they're working with India, Australia, Europe, and you know, and if you look at the time zones with a 12 and a half hour difference, you're working almost all day. Yeah. Okay. So that's just not sustainable. And it's not reasonable. And so I think that's something that employers can think about a little bit. Also, flex time. I mean, now that we're working remotely, quite frankly, companies don't know that you just cut out for an hour in the middle of the day to go do a virtual dance class. All right. But you come (laughs) back and you get your work done. So it doesn't matter. Okay. It really doesn't matter. And by the way, I think more people are going to be working remotely after this, which is Fabulous because I now have, like I have a client in Detroit who just got hired by Canva in Sydney, Australia. They don't care where she is, right? How would you make that connection otherwise? You wouldn't. Absolutely. So the world is now open to the best and the brightest no matter where they're located. And that's just a fabulous, fabulous way to work, I think. Yeah, it's been such a great great eye-opening experience for a lot of organizations. I think a lot of us knew that this was the potential of something that could be something great, right? Of this work from home or distributed work. And we were trying to convince a lot of companies and leaders to say like, look, this can work. You're, you're just having this control mindset to like, I have to know what my employees are doing. But at the same time, if you really think about it, they didn't really know what they were doing anyway, because their teams were, you know, (laughs) taking a, you know, taking a 30 minute break instead of a 15 minute break, because they got caught up in conversation with someone that they haven't seen in a little bit in the office. So like, why does it matter? And it's, we got to let it go. It, It, we, you know, trust your team to do their work. Yes. Yes. And that is what I underscore is the word trust. If you don't trust someone enough that they can get their work done remotely in whatever hours they're working, then why are they in your organization? Trust is paramount to to people, you know, being a good leader and, uh, and finding people you want to work with. So absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It also shows the power of the relationships that we build. Right. And you have built so many relationships with people. I mean, you have worked with thousands of people at this point. Yeah. And Young Tian, you know, had shared with me that Joanna is a great leader. She brings a wealth of knowledge and structures them in a way, easy way to understand. She's firm in challenging people to reach their potential, yet goes out of her way to support with flexibility and all her resources. I highly recommend working with her. And so again, you've, you've had that impact and 
all based on relationships. And that's something you've also written about as well. You've written about the power and need to embrace real life conversation, right? And we've seen that with the emergence and popularity of various platforms, various apps, right? Zoom, Teams, most recently Clubhouse, which I'm a big fan of. And it's proven that notion and of the power of real life conversation. So how do we get companies then to focus on those relationships rather than the bottom line? Wow. Well, I think the bottom line comes when you focus on those relationships because people are motivated. Okay. Well, it comes down to that whole conversation piece, the good listening, the, um, the, the willingness to not just listen, but really hear someone, Mm -hmm. okay. Being open enough to understand their position and then having a meeting of the minds. And that's something that's really important too in conversations. When you've agreed to something, you've only agreed to something. Think of it as a contract when both people agree. Me telling you what to do is not a contract, yeah. okay? But us having a discussion where there's an understanding and a meeting of the minds that we both agreed to, that is a contract. And then I expect responsibility, as in we've agreed to this and we're going to both do our part. And I think when that happens, there is a sense of being appreciated, okay, which a lot of people do not feel they have in corporate settings. Yeah. I have heard someone say their manager told them, if you want a friend, get a dog. I mean, it is awful out there sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, I've worked with managers and CEOs who don't realize this was an eye opener to them, that people are in that organization because they feel good about the product of their work. They're not there simply for the paycheck. I had a CEO for whom he said he did not, he, that is the first time he ever thought about that. He thought if he paid people that they should just do what he told them to do. Yeah. And his entire company changed. We did a Myers-Briggs. He'd never heard of that before. It's an <laughs> engineering company. And this was an eye opener. Most of the people in his company were feelers, not thinkers. Who would have thought that with a bunch of engineers? Somehow he hired a bunch of people who were feelers in that company and they needed to feel accomplished and appreciated. So now he walks around that office. It's a small company of about 25 people. Every day he makes sure to walk around that office, look people in the eye and have a conversation. And everyone is happier and that company is doing better. I mean, that's something that I, I, I mean, I personally love doing that, uh, especially when I was, you know, when I was traveling in between offices and going around and taking a little bit of time saying, Hey, how are you? Because you also not, you know, it gets back to what you had said earlier at the beginning about listening, right? Is not only are you building relationships, but you're making, you're allowing people to air out anything that they think you need to know. Yes. That's not working or yeah. yes. Yes, because a lot of people feel they need to be asked. They won't tell you. Yeah. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They want to overstep boundaries. There's a million reasons that people don't say something that isn't quite right. So you have to ask. Yes, as a leader. Yep. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to I want to shift a little bit because you know, go going into your work primarily on helping people reinvent themselves. And There seems to be a mental barrier a lot of people have when it comes to reinvention, especially when they have a well-established career. Sure. So this is 
uh, my apologies, but I, I couldn't really phrase this any other way. This is a three-part question. So okay. why, so why yeah. do you, why do you, A, why do you think we have a mental barrier? B, okay. how do we get over that? And C, how can leaders in organizations help their employees reinvent themselves, even if it's to reinvent into another department or maybe even another company? Okay, so A, why are we stuck? Because it's our comfort zone. People are sometimes stuck miserable, but the known is so much better sometimes than the unknown. The unknown is really scary. (laughs) And so that's why we're stuck because we'd rather know what the horrible situation is than perhaps pivot to something else that might be more horrible, okay? So that's what it is. A lot of it is just habit formation. You know, we ended up in some place and it just took us down some route. A lot of it wasn't decisions we made. They were decisions that were made for us, maybe with the best of intentions, but then we end up there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. So that was part A. What was B? I know. Remember C. I couldn't remember B. Sorry, B. Yeah. So how do we we get over it? How do we get out of that? Yes. How you get over that is at some point you, at some point, what I found is people have a burning desire to just get more information and then decide. I actually worked with all the thousands of people. I did work with three people who decided to stay at the company they were at because they actually did realize they had the best position or the best situation possible for what they did. And you know what? All of a sudden they felt great about their work environment. (laughs) So having more knowledge is helpful. And that's that kind of doing a deep dive as to what's working, what's not working. And by the way, I don't ever suggest people leave a company. That's never my starting point. My starting point always is trying to figure out what the disconnect is, what they're not happy about, and seeing what can we do potentially to fix that. Okay, do you need a heart-to-heart with your manager? Um, Should you be talking to other people in the company to see if maybe there's a different division you could migrate to? You know, what is it that's not working? So start with the small And then if really you can't get out of that, then what's helpful is to talk to people in companies or working on projects or in industries that have always been of interest to you. Okay. I'm not going to tell you which one of the three companies I talked about that was a bad fit for me, but one of the three was a horrible fit. And I always wanted to try out that industry. Okay, I tried it out and it was not a good fit because what my sense of the industry was, was very different from what the work actually was. Okay, Mm -hmm. so the way to find out rather than taking that kind of a big leap is to simply talk to people about their day. So when you connect with someone, you don't say, hey, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me get a job? What you can say is, hey, I see you work at company X, Y and Z. I've always admired their product or service. Okay. Um, would you tell me a little bit about your experience working there? Everyone can talk about their experience. It's personal. There's no right or wrong. It's your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and people love to talk about themselves and their experience. And you learn a lot about an industry or a function from what people highlight of what they like and what they don't like. And then already you can start integrating what of that kind of a position or industry or function or whatever fits for you, okay? So you can already do your due diligence in that way and you could do it with friends. I bet everyone has a network. The school you went to, companies you worked at, you know, the parents of the kids uh, that go to school with your kids, all of them are doing interesting things. 
you know what, have a conversation. I mean, it used to be have lunch with them, but now, you know, just say, can we get on a Zoom call or can I have a phone call with you? I really admire what you do uh, and would love to learn a little bit more. People love to talk about themselves. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that also hi- highlights the importance of having a great employee experience, right? Is right. You, as a company really focus on the experience of your employees by helping them connect, by Mm -hmm. helping them, as you say, thrive in their work. Yeah. Yeah. Then even if it's a really tough time in the company, they're still going to feel fulfilled and passionate about what they're doing because they feel recognized. So when those, you know, when those individuals do reach out and hear about you know, what is your experience? It's a good experience. And again, then again, it goes all the way back to what you had said before. And we've touched on it a number of times. You have to listen to your employees to understand what their experience actually is and help them connect. So it's, uh, it kind of comes full circle in that sense. A good leader also has an understanding of what his or her um, reports, what kind of goals and interests they have. And let's just talk about it from the business perspective. Okay. I've worked with engineers that don't want to manage people. They love doing what they do. They suddenly get shoved into a management position and they're miserable. Okay. You haven't done them any service at all. And you know what they do? They leave. So if you understood that they just like their niche to be left alone (laughs) to do their engineering, that's great. That's what they're best at. That's their interest. Similarly, I'm working with a gentleman who um, works in video production. He's an artist and he's really bright and he wants to get more into the product management end of things. He can't figure out anyone in the company who will help him get those skills. Now, here's someone, here's a gift. Someone who's a creative who really knows his business is perfect to get into product management and maybe even higher in the organization because he understands what the creatives do. Many people in business have no clue what the creatives are doing, (laughs) okay? (laughs) So this is a gift, but he can't navigate his organization, which, by the way, is tiny, He cannot find someone who can help him make that happen. What happens? He calls me because he's looking for another opportunity where he could move into more of a management of business position. Ultimately, I think he'd like to be COO of a company. Why not? He's in his 20s. He's got time. Let him let it happen. Right. That's what I'm saying by leaders need to understand their reports, what their goals are, and potentially help them get there because everyone doesn't have the same trajectory in a company. Okay. They don't all have the same interests. And if you've got a place for them to move and learn within that company, you will have an employee who will stay for quite some time. It costs a lot of money to onboard new people. Yep. Okay. You're better off. It's kind of like getting customers, right? You rather keep getting the same customers over and over than finding new ones. It's the same thing in business. Yeah. And I am always appalled by how little that is done. Yeah. And there's such little focus, I think, on on that and utilizing the skills that, you know, people have and the curiosities that individuals have in organizations, right? Yeah. Is um, especially if you can build a program of some sort that allows your employees to explore different areas of the business, it yeah. just makes for a much stronger business because then they say, oh, you know, I'm in 
you know, let's say I'll pick on salespeople because we always pick yeah. on salespeople. Um, <laughs> I'm in sales, but I want to know more about project management. And they learn about project management and they're like, you know, oh, all of a sudden they understand the process of what happens behind the scenes that ends up making them a better salesperson, right? So, so you have to understand, it's fascinating to me when we have organizations that are like, stay in your lane, this is your career path. Mm -hmm. And very often, you know, people switch all the time. Yep. 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 Yeah. And so talking about switching, I mean, you, you have written an incredible article, a very well, uh, sorry, very popular article around career gaps. Oh. Right? And in it, you share an interaction that you had with a career oh. consultant. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> who wasn't interested in individuals who had gaps in their resume, which is appalling to me that there yes. are still people in this world that think that way. Yes. I mean, granted, this was a few years ago, but there still are people who think that way. He's still around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how do how do individuals showcase their skills if they do have a skills gap? So I, you know, can you share a little bit about that? And what ideas do you have to help employers get over that quote unquote issue of a gap? Yeah. So the issue of the gap, my first question is uh, just because someone's taken some time off doesn't mean that they've necessarily lost their mojo. Okay. They were, you know, if they had demonstrable skills, then they still have those demonstrable skills. I think one thing that shifted in kind of our, um, in the world is that especially let's let's talk about women and their gap, okay? Just because it comes up often with child care. Yes. It used to be, you know, women, a lot of them didn't even go to college, right? They had kids right away. And then they raised their kids and then they got into the workforce. And they got into the workforce in their, you know, 30s because they were having kids in their 20s. What happened uh, particularly in the United States, but actually worldwide, is that you suddenly women became better educated. Well, by the time a woman's got an MBA, all right, she's now having kids in her 30s and then getting back in the workforce, let's say in her 40s, all right? Mm-hmm. So what's happened is there's a shift, but you've got these women who have a demonstrable career ahead of time and is, and they're highly educated. And while they may be taking some time off with kids, They are doing volunteer projects that are highly sophisticated with demonstrable skills. Many of them are working part-time. They're doing their side hustle for some money on the side. So these are not people that are not doing anything during their gap. They are highly active during their gap, whether or not they're being paid for it. What's important is to demonstrate those demonstrable skills that you did. I don't know anyone who did nothing while they were taking care of their kids. All right. So I think that's a big disconnect that we lost, that we didn't follow in how things changed in our society. Okay. So that's important to showcase. Also, you know, nowadays with interviews, interviews have parts in them where you have to do a presentation, you need to analyze a problem, right? So you can see that people are still on top of their game. Okay. And if you have been in an industry that may have moved on and you need to up your, your skills a little bit, hey, check out Coursera, uh, General Assembly, Udemy, any of these places and start doing some of that certification. Because if you've got a recent certificate in something like coding, okay, nobody cares what happened last year. Yeah. All right. You're on top of your game and then you move on. So, you know, I just say, don't apologize for anything. Everyone has their own career path. 
their own life issues. People take time off to take care of elderly parents. Should we tell them not to do that? I mean, that would be a sad society. Yeah. Okay. So just embrace the fact that people come back wherever they are and want to hit the ground running. And by the way, those are usually the people who want to stay at a company for quite some time. And they're very grateful to be given a chance. They're some of the hardest workers out there. Absolutely. Well, as we, as we end or as we near our end here, uh, I want to f- ask one more question. What is the impact that you want to have on others that you lead? Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership skills that, um, that I think are really important. One of them is projecting a sense of confidence. Okay. Nobody's going to follow someone who's wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't sound like you know what you're doing, nobody feels good about it. So work on that confidence. Work on your word choices, on your tone. And I'm going to address something that I hear women do a lot because I'm working with them every day about this. Stop apologizing unless you've hurt somebody, okay? If you missed a phone call because somebody called you and you didn't expect them to call you, you do not need to call back and say, I am sorry, I missed your call. Just call back and say, hey, I'm so glad you gave me a call. Let's discuss this, okay? Apologizing constantly is a form of weakness. No one is going to follow you, okay? So when it comes to leadership skills, it's really important to think about when you have seen leaders that you think are somebody you would want to follow, listen to their talks, look at their body language, listen to their choice of words, okay? Because that's a great way for you to modify your behavior and maybe take a look at some of those little weaknesses that aren't working for you mm-hmm. and implement something that will, that will change some of your leadership skills. Fantastic. Love it. Well, as we started with some praise from your son, I wanted to end with some praise from your daughter. Oh no. Said, one, of jo- one of Joanna's superpowers is how she approaches people from all walks of life with empathy and curiosity. By channeling that empathy and curiosity, she's able to help reframe qualities that a person feels self-conscious about qualities that make them different or unusual as strengths and qualities that make them interesting to others. Joanna's approach empowers the people she works with to take prideful ownership over their differentiated experiences and characteristics and go out in the world with their heads held higher. One of the quotes I've learned from her is people will forget what you did and they will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Joanna triumphs in making people feel more powerful, purposeful, and prepared. So you absolutely have this amazing impact on how you make people feel and the work that you're doing. So thank you for that amazing work. As we close out, what would you like those who are listening to do next? Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. Um, So first and foremost, thank you for hosting this podcast because getting the word out is so much, so, so important. And what would I like people to do next? I want them to go out and make someone else feel good about themselves today. Beautiful. Well, Joanna, thank you again for joining the Leading People First podcast. This was a blast. I am very honored again to have you on and we will talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed the insights that Joanna provided around connecting strengths, values, and purpose between organization and employee. If you liked this episode, hit that subscribe button and click share to send it to someone who needs to learn more about Joanna's work. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in and keep leading people first and stay awesome.